Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. Dealing with pornography addiction and sexual addiction is totally messy. Most couples that work through it do stay together, even though it's very difficult to work through all of the mistrust and and disclosure and all the things that have to happen to rebuild a marriage. But what if it doesn't work out? What if the person struggling with the addiction decides they don't want to do it anymore? They don't want to keep working on it. They don't want to come out of hiding. What if the partner who's been so traumatized feels like, I can't trust again. I can't do this. I can't be with this person anymore. Too much damage has been done. What then? Well, today's guest is Roxanne Kennedy, and she wrote a book about her experience of working through a recovery with her husband and then having to cut ties. In fact, that's the name of the book, Cutting Ties. And she talks about her story. She talks about her own personal journey of fighting hard to save her marriage and then finally having to let it go. And Roxanne is doing great. In fact, her message to women who have to divorce and don't get the chance to work through their marriage with their partner is that you're going to be okay. And she's a very optimistic and upbeat and positive person. I love talking with her. I think she's got a very important message that is uh, just critical for women working through a betrayal trauma recovery process that regardless of the outcome, regardless of what happens to your marriage, which you can't control, you can be okay. So here's my interview with Roxanne Kennedy. Well, welcome to the podcast, Roxanne. It's so good to have you here with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So you wrote a book. I did. Yep. You wrote a book about the worst thing that ever happened to you. Absolute worst, most heartbreaking thing. Right. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that ex- those experiences. But the good news about the book is it isn't just some doom and gloom tell-all, right? It's really a story about redemption for you. Absolutely. It's hope and healing and everything that comes along with it. Yeah, pain and struggle for sure. But right. that there is hope and you will be okay. Right. I love that. <laughs> you will be okay. And that's what people who are going through horrific traumas need to know is that it's not over and that there is a future in front of them. So yep, yeah, that's is. great. So we'll say more about the book in a little while, but you got to know her story first, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about this horrible thing that happened to her, things, plural, lots of things. And so I know that we couldn't possibly cover the entire story in this podcast today, but we want to get the headlines. I, wanna, I want our listeners to understand what exactly have you been through, and then we'll kind of spend the rest of the time talking about how you've healed, and really give some support and suggestions and ideas and and a validation to others who are struggling with similar things. So why don't you tell me your story? Okay, so I was married for 21 years, and at the beginning, about six months in, is when I first found pornography. I had come home from work and found the TV stuck between stations on kind of that fuzzy picture. And at that moment, I felt so shocked that I didn't even know what was happening. I Mm. hadn't ever experienced anything like that. And so it was new for me. And what ran through my mind was here we were six months into marriage. 
I thought we were having the best time of our lives. We talked about how we didn't struggle like other people did, and I really felt like all of a sudden, what was my life? This was out of the blue? Out of the blue. It just was. Wow. I didn't even know. Okay. And so it just kind of shocked me like that. And like I, you, Like you didn't even know that he, he had even seen pornography or this was even a thing for him. I, I had no clue. Okay. He didn't share that with me. Okay. And that was not something I learned until later that his addiction started when he was 11. Got like, it. Okay. Like most people's is young. So, so at that point, uh, we went and saw our church leader and he was really great. He shared with us some of his experience with addiction and what he did to manage his and to stay clean. However, at that time, there wasn't really programs and even the word addiction for pornography didn't totally exist, at least not where I was anyway. And so we left there knowing, okay, we need to just follow the principles and, and you know, do those kind of church things so that, that we would be okay. But what happened for me was I ended up feeling so stressed, so unsure, completely and totally filled with anxiety. And at that point, I had never had anxiety before, and I didn't even know what it was. And that was one of those things that I didn't learn what that was until 17 years later when I was sharing with somebody, hey, I'm feeling like this. And they're like, oh, that's anxiety. I just had no idea. What did you think it was? (laughs) I didn't know because I hadn't ever felt so strange, that swirl of death that like covers your entire system where your heart's racing. I didn't. That must have been terrifying. It was because I didn't know what was happening to me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and and it just kind of, at that moment, it kind of made the beginning start of those feelings of that I didn't trust my husband and that Mm -hmm. my life maybe was a lie. That's how it felt. Right. Felt to me. Okay. So so at that time, I didn't know what betrayal trauma was, but I can see now that I was experiencing that because I couldn't stay at my evening job of the fear that he was looking at stuff. I felt panicked. I felt angry. Mm -hmm. All these new emotions. And I thought, I thought I was easygoing. I thought I was just patient. Like it changes your whole personality. It changes everything. It did. And I felt like I was going crazy. Right. Yeah. So, so basically we went on and every few years I would find something and that kept that fear of trust and the possibility of infidelity in the back of my mind at all times. And it was strange because there were a lot of good times. And then it would mess with me when when I would find something because I was trying to make sense of this new world and how is everything so good yet it isn't good. And the chaos in my own mind of the crazy making, uh, I was trying to to manage that, try to figure out what it was, if that, you know, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So... So with addiction, there's so many manipulations, so many deceit, so many lies. Yep. And that's where I was trying to figure out what to do. So I decided I was going to fix it, that I could. I could be better and sweeter and cuter and do all these things. And I would order self-help tapes and workbooks, and I would apply them, and I would do all the things that people say. I would greet him at the door, super happy and smiley, and I would leave him notes. And and basically, if it came across my view, I would either buy it or apply it to my life because I knew I could fix him, I could fix me, and I could fix us, and then everything would be okay. 
So uh, 17 years later, February of 2012, that was when I had my first discovery day of a bigger proportion, more evidence than just these small little things that I found throughout the years. And I felt the spirit just kind of like, boom, you know Mm. what this is. This is not just something stupid that he's doing. This is a real problem. Before this this discovery Mm -hmm. day, did you have a sense there was more? Yes, absolutely. I I didn't know how to figure it out or even what I was supposed to be figuring out at that point. Mm -hmm. I had no education on addiction or any of it at that point. So when you saw the the beginnings of this bigger picture, Mm -hmm. you were already somewhat prepared for that in the sense that you knew that this – that there had to be more. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think at that point I was ready. I think I could look look at it sometimes at that point, at that 17 years, and say, how did I not know? How did I not see? Right. But I wasn't prepared. I didn't have any tools or knowledge or even how to get out of it at that right. time. And so this was really the beginning of it's time. It's time to do the work. Are you going to choose in? Okay. So I did. Okay. I chose in. And so even though I didn't know what I was going to do and I felt all this trauma finding this new uh, discovery, I still felt really guided. And I went to visit. We went to visit our church leader, and I was pleading and praying in my mind, please tell us something more than just pray and read the scriptures. And even though that stuff is great, that was not going to help this problem, and I knew that. And I needed more, and and it was great. He did. He introduced us to this the 12-step program for church, and he committed us to going for four years. And so we went. And that was so terrifying. When I went to my very first meeting, I felt like I had sprinted up flights of stairs, and all I did was walk into the building. My heart was racing. Your heart was pounding. Yes. It was. I was a nervous wreck. But I walked in, and what I felt there was hope. I saw people that experienced the same thing I did. Right. People were smiling. They were happy. People loved their addicts. And I thought, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. I need to do this. So we totally went full force. We didn't miss a week in the first year and a half or so. Wow. We went all the time. We totally thrived in it. We became facilitators, and really, I found my recovery groups and friends and the network that I, I needed. So a year later, so at that 17 years, that was in 2012, and mm-hmm. a year later in 2013, uh, things were worse, and I didn't know why. I didn't understand how we could be doing all these things, but things were worse. And so as I <laughs> so confusing, right, yeah. right, and as I'm praying about it. I'm thinking, how is this possible? And I had that firm answer that said, he's not being honest with you. He is not sober. Oh. And so, again, at that point, I was led to my next big discovery, which really showed uh, the severity of the problem. And that, and really, you know, all of that stuff is one of those things that you have to be given the right tools, the right programs, uh, all those things, and the addict needs to choose into recovery to be able to f- figure out those things. But at that point, the f- only thing we had was 12-step, and we s- realized at that point that we needed more. Mm-hmm. And that's when we were introduced to counseling. 
I had never been to a counselor before. Okay. And so it was my first experience, and I loved every second of it. Hmm. It changed my life. I felt validated. I felt like I wasn't crazy. I felt like somebody understands. And so we did that. Uh, we did it individually. Every other week we had individual counseling because really what that counselor had taught us was that you can't work on a marriage if there's addiction in the way. So right. I needed to work on my side. He needed to work on his. And every once in a while we'd meet together. But mm -hmm. that's the way we did it. But again, a year later, 2014, things were at an all-time low, and I was praying and pleading, wondering what I was supposed to do, and I knew he needed to go to inpatient rehab or he needed to get out. Mm. And that process, I did write about it in the book. That process was really crazy to uh, get him, not to get him, to, but to watch him make that decision to choose rehab, because at this point, I didn't have any evidence I found nothing at all, and he was professing his innocence over and over. But I knew that swirl of death, that anxiety that spins into your whole entire body, I would go to sleep with it, I'd wake up with it, and it was continuous. And I knew something was wrong, even though— You had no proof. I had no proof at all. Everything on the surface looked yep. like yep. it was supposed to, mm -hmm. but everything in your body said, everything's wrong, this is not okay. Yep. And I, as much as I prayed about that, I had to get to that point that I was willing to risk it, willing to risk, am I hearing and feeling something that's true or do I have to have evidence? And so I went with that, no, I'm hearing he needs to leave. I'm going to go with it. And so saying that to him and him saying he's innocent and me having to say, I'm sorry, I do not believe you. Mm -hmm. You will need to go or you will need to get out. And be able to be so firm and calm in it was such a blessing for one, because that it felt like a boundary. I didn't even know what boundaries were yet at the time, but it felt like I was taking care of me and I was following the spirit. Right. I mean, that's that's my question, and I, I guess I'll just ask you real quick if it's okay. Like, mm -hmm. how in the world were you able to trust that with no evidence? Right. Right. Like right. that's probably a question a lot of people ask you, right? Mm -hmm. Like here you are saying, I know it's horrible and inpatient, right? Like the the ninety the, days. Right. Like a really extreme intervention here yep. with no evidence. Right. How did you trust that? Well, I had been practicing not trusting it for now at this point nineteen years. And so when it hit and all of the learning that I had done at this point, you mm -hmm. know, all the, the 12 step stuff and counseling now and reading material, knowing what addiction was helped me realize that I could trust myself. And even though I hadn't necessarily healed from betrayal trauma at that point, I still knew that I had healed enough to know that I could trust myself, that my inspirations were very strong and I had been practicing them by both not listening to them and listening to them over those two years of our our start in recovery. Right. So you had enough experience with those patterns that you mm -hmm. trusted it and you just knew that this was right. Right. Some of those things are so bold. Oh, yeah. You just know. And it, it does take a lot to actually act on it still. But acting on it, I wouldn't have experienced all the goodness that happened after if I wouldn't have done something super scary and hard. Well, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I see the pattern in the scriptures and through the stories of, you know, that, that we, we hear and read and even in our own lives, 
And a lot of the times, the things that make the least sense are usually from God, right? Right. Yeah, I would never think of that on my own. His ways are not our ways, and so we have Always. to. Yeah, we have to really lean into that. And wow. really, it's either he knows more or I do, and I'm kind of in a cloud of. <laughs> Who are we going to bet staff. on, right? Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Always him. All right, keep going. Okay, so uh, he went to rehab, and he went to rehab here in Southern Utah. He went to Desert Solace, and it was so profound for both of us. It was very helpful in our healing. While he was there, I found my next level of therapy, like a a different therapist that uh, worked on betrayal trauma, taught me about boundaries, Mm -hmm. and really took me a while to learn what boundaries even were. I I didn't get the concept of making this boundary for that person, but really for me. I mean, it was such a weird dynamic that it took me a lot of time to learn what that meant. But through with that counselor, I learned those things. I learned how to keep them. And it was really like learning another language. Yeah. I felt, I felt like I didn't even know anything. So you're starting from zero and everything new is just kind of adding into your toolbox. And at that time is when I also got my husband's disclosure. So he was in rehab working on his disclosure and he read that to me. And so now at this point, I know the entire secret double life that I didn't know before. Which confirmed why he was there. Yes. Right? This was yes. the first time you really knew the full story. The full story and that it, it was so active up to that point of rehab. And that's why I had that prompt. Everything you were feeling was dead on. It was real. Right. It was true. Right. And so that even verified do the scary things. Do those hard things when you when you right feel talk them. about learning to really trust how you feel and what your body and spirit are telling you. I mean, that is like a slam dunk, right? You don't, oh, yeah. I mean, you can't mistake that. That's right. incredible. Yeah, it, it was really it really did help me in my own. I'm so journey. glad he was willing to put that on the table just for your benefit, if anything, right? Just to help right. you trust yourself mm-hmm. and the the spirit. Yeah, and to show me that I wasn't doing it alone. Exactly. That he was right along with me, uh-huh. showing me the way. So so when I picked him up from rehab, we we started our journey on having basically giving him one year to choose into recovery and to seeing if he would choose into it. And the thing was, is I really, really loved my husband. Mm-hmm. I could see the difference between him and addiction. I couldn't live with him if he was going to live in addiction, but I still had this fight in me to keep going. So... At that same time, there was still this thing that I was dying inside. So I was fighting for him and dying at the same time. And that's the trauma. Mm-hmm. That's the betrayal part that right. was so big. The anxiety, the depression that I also had never experienced, the mistrust was so big. Um, that I had this experience where I honestly thought I was going to die. And, and this had happened several times, but I remember just putting my hands to my heart and holding in my heart and my chest and slowly climbing into bed and breathing. I'm talking ever so softly and carefully because I really felt like I honestly could die. Mm. I was so brokenhearted that I just did not really know how to survive yet. I just followed the path, and so I was like, able to find my way out. And right, but learn like how the physical pain was so 
real. It is. It's not just mental mm-hmm. or emotional. It is physical. Our body, our body, our spirits coded as physical death, like danger. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so basically, that's that, and that's what happened um, over the last twenty-five years. And in the end, we, I did choose divorce because he didn't end up choosing into recovery. Okay. Wow. And so you gave it some time after rehab. Yeah, a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you're like. I have to move on this because I'm going to die. Yeah, I, I listened to all the promptings in the mm-hmm. in the spirit, and during that year, uh, that was I picked him up at the end of July, and by January we were doing an in-house separation because the honesty and accountability still wasn't there. Really, I'm sure the sobriety was that felt true, but the behaviors of addiction were not changing, and the willingness to change them. Uh, Right, we're still being fought against, and then that's the work, right? Yeah, the sobriety, the, the sobriety, right? You, I mean, that's that's kind of the first. It's not hard. Thing. It's that's not the easy. Stabilization, and now you've got to do the work. But the digging in and really rewiring right. stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he just wasn't up for it. Just couldn't do it. It's a lot. It's okay. a lot to do. Mm-hmm. So this was definitely not a rash decision on your part. No. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think, right. I think what yeah. what was it? Twenty plus years at that point. Yeah, that was twenty one. Mm-hmm. Twenty one years. Yep. Since the very first discovery. That's right. Mm-hmm. Of you. Uh, that's a lot of wear and tear on your heart, don't you think? It, it was. It really was. I honestly didn't know how it would repair itself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so the so in your in your story then, um, I mean, your, your story obviously, be, you know, it begins in terms of this, this story, begins when you first discovered it and then just kind of second guessing yourself and then trying to figure out how to feel the spirit and you know, follow the promptings, act on them, that trial and error over the years. And then when you made the big decision to say, I need to be done, like you're not choosing recovery. I I have to save myself, my sanity, our children, like we have to stop doing this. At, At that point, was that decision, was that decision any harder than any of the other ones? Or, or was it really part of that same pattern of, I trust this, I'm gonna be okay? It had got to the point where I had to be ready, ready to leave. I I had felt anxiety before. I probably could have left sooner Mm -hmm. at other times, but the fear of what that looked like was still paralyzing me. So as we took that year to recover and I kept doing my work, I was healing. And so that that healing became very uh, far apart where I was, where he was. And it got to that point where I didn't feel like I could live with him another day like that. So that felt worse, staying in the relationship with an addict that wasn't choosing recovery or moving forward on my own, even though I didn't know what it looked like. Right. I mean, that's the only option he'd given you. Right. Mm Because in a lot of ways, that's a boundary for him, right? Right. To say like, well, I'm, I'm choosing this direction and you have to decide if you can live with that. And you're like... Not anymore. That's right. That's exactly how it I've went. been living with it, and I know what that life is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now I knew better. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't worry about what I didn't know before right. or why I didn't get out sooner. Right. I had to realize that I was ready now, yep. and then I could be different by getting out versus be trapped in stuff that my own patterns or my own thinking, uh, that things that were unhealthy, I, would, I could have ended up in similar situations, but instead I was ready. So why'd you write a book? So I didn't know I was 
going to write a book. I never thought I'd be writing a book. (laughs) But I had this insane experience where I hit my own personal rock bottom. And it was so crazy Mm -hmm. that I was like, what in the world? Who am I? Who is this person? And I'm not going to spoil it for you because that's the first chapter of my book. And it really is the best story. And it's the worst. Mm -hmm. So... Really what came out of it, though, was so much awareness, and that experience showed me that I was writing the book. And so what happened was a couple of days after that, I went to the gym, and I was on the treadmill, and I was trying to process through how I got to where I was. How did I let someone else's choices and decisions, somebody else's responses to my requests, make me feel crazy enough to do something that I should never have done? So I was kind of looking at myself. What is wrong in me that I didn't honor me and I did something crazy? And at that moment, I saw it. I saw the cover of the book. I saw the title. I saw the colors. And the first chapter just sped through my mind. And so after I questioned in my mind to God and I said, am I writing a book and I heard, yes, please, <laughs> <laughs> yes, please write this book. Please share with everybody, other people, what you've learned, what you continue to learn, mm-hmm. the tools you've been given, so that they know that there is healing, there is hope, and that they're not the only ones. Because that's huge yeah. to know that you're not the only one. When I walked into that 12 step meeting and realized I wasn't the only one, That felt so reassuring, even though you don't want it to happen to people. I know, but it's so isolating. And I mean, how are you going to find other people who understand, right? Like how how in the world? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So Yeah. And I love that, Roxanne. I love love that that prayer. So am I getting this right? You uh want me to write a book? Yeah. That's exactly (laughs) how it is. That's how I talk talk to them as well. Yeah, wow, that's great. Yeah. And so, so okay. the accidental author, right? You just kind of, right? right. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So I went home, sat down on my computer, and again, so I was kind of in this chaos, anxiety state of being because I had just done what I had done and pretty low. And I couldn't really, I didn't feel like I could even come up with words or do that kind of work myself. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down at the computer and again, I prayed and said, All right, well, if this is for real and you really want me to do this, then you're going to have to tell yeah. me the words. Give me the words. words, right. Yeah, I don't have the capacity right. to do this. And there they were. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And when I had nothing else to say, I looked up and I read through it. And I thought, this is so amazing. How crazy is this? I just wrote this. And at that moment, I chose in. And as the weeks and months went by... I would find that I needed to write in the most off times. The anxiety would come up. I'd have some sort of trigger panic attack of some kind, and it would come up and take over, and I would grab my tools that I already know, like, um, okay, do I need to meditate? Is this fear, anger, resentment? What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? What do I need to do? And it would eventually dawn on me, do, you, do I need to write? And it was 
it was like, yes, you need to write. So I'd sit down. And those again, were the signals. Those were the signals. Huh. I would have anxiety and can't watch TV and can't do anything else. Yeah, I got and something in me. It needs to come out. It does. Yeah, right. 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 So therapeutic, really. So I would sit down and again say the same thing. I can't come up with this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I was a swirl of oh, yeah. anxiety. And every single time, not one time did I not sit down and have the name of the chapter and exactly what I needed to write every Beautiful. single time. Yep. So if I was going to go through this, then all the work and effort that I was putting in couldn't be just for me. And that's what I learned. I had to share it, and I'm excited to share it. Oh, that's great. And so when I asked the question, why did you write your book? You're like, uh, it wasn't my idea, right? <laughs> exactly. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't. But no. you went with it. And I love that. I love that phrase that you, you've used it a few times in our, in our time together. You, you, you said, I, I, I chose in. Say more about that. What does that mean to you to choose in? Right. Well, we're given opportunities to do all sorts of things. There's, In my recovery, there's always the next step, the next person, the next miracle being offered to me, the next way to live or choose different. And I could let them sit there and be afraid of them, or I could choose in to them and go for it. So choosing in is not knowing what you're doing, but being willing to do it. Stepping forward in darkness with that hope and faith and trust, even if it's so small, that it will be better to choose in than stay where I am. Because when I stay where I am, I, I honestly don't feel like I can manage myself. I can't manage life when I stay in this stuck place and not moving forward. And choosing right. in is forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when you say staying in, staying put where I'm at, it's really fear. It is. Right. It's mm-hmm. uncertainty. It's it's paralysis. Yep. Um, and so choosing in is really about life. It's about movement. It's about light. Exactly. Right? All those things. Beautiful. Yep. And I love light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's working out for you. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap up this segment. We're going to have you back to talk about the rest of the, the book, um, advice and Um, other just supports for these women validate. I really want other women to hear, uh, women that are going through this, I want them to hear really kind of the meat of what you've been through and, but specifically like what you've learned from this and who you are now because of all of this. We'll have you back. Okay. I would love to share that. You can learn more about Roxanne and her book on her Facebook page, if you just go to facebook.com forward slash R. Kennedy Cutting Ties. That's R. Kennedy Cutting Ties, just one word. You can get updates, follow where she's speaking, and other stuff she might be sharing. So thanks, Roxanne. We'll have you back next episode to talk more about the book and especially all the things that you've learned and, uh, and just really giving some good, solid, concrete advice and support on how to heal from betrayal trauma. And I want to thank all of you for listening and supporting the Illuminate podcast. And I look forward to being with you next episode.